go. Hey, welcome to the latest edition of the First Day Copites. I'm still not used to that. First Day Copites podcast. Um, today, we're delighted to be joined by Roddy McCowan. Have I got that right? Absolutely. Oh, well, I'm blown away with my own um, brilliance. Um, we're also joined by Hytham, an old friend of the podcast. Uh, no show on this week, and it's not just because Liverpool had a bad result at the weekend, but we are joined by Charlie and Tim. Tim is questioning whether... Sure. Anyway, um, so this week we're going to talk uh, uh, OLSC Las Vegas, uh, Roddy's involvement in that, uh, but we're going to get started and you know, everyone else feel free to chime in with questions, but let's start with Roddy. How did you become a Liverpool fan? Because your accent does not suggest that you're from um, the area, if you don't mind me saying so. Well, I could do a Liverpool accent, but that's not where I'm from. Um, it wasn't bad, actually. It wasn't bad. So, <laughs> well, I get away with it a little bit because I'm married to Escosa. Um, but the, um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, if you, if you look back here, and I'm way older than you guys, but um, sort of like especially growing up in, in Edinburgh and Scotland, everybody in Scotland has, you know, a, a team of their own affiliation, you know, whether you live in Edinburgh and it's Hibs and Hearts or the big two of Rangers and Celtic, etc. Um, but because of the sort of like proliferation of match of the day on the UK television and sport at night, um, everybody has an English team. And yeah, I mean, I guess it goes down to sort of like big brother south of the border. So, um, you know, and I suppose we all grew up at various times, sort of like attaching ourselves to an English side, but Hibs played, uh, as, as I've said, I was raised in Edinburgh and, um, not very far away from Hibernian's ground, um, or Hibs is the more popularly known. And Hibs ended up playing Liverpool um, in a European game at Edinburgh. And uh, when, when the players came out on the pitch to warm up before the game, I mean, this was sort of like Ray Clemens' days and Toshak and Keegan. Keegan basically shouted to Clemens that he was going to hit the crossbar from the halfway line with the ball. And uh, of course, like everybody just like doesn't believe him and neither did Clements. And of course, what did Keegan do? Smacks it from the halfway line, bangs it off the crossbar. And at that point I went, I'm in. <laughs> Anybody who says he can do that and he actually does it. So th that was a little bit of an affiliation start for me with, with, with uh, the Reds. And it basically just grew from there. And, and funnily enough, my career... Um, managed to take me to, um, in, in, the, in the world of fast food, I traveled around the country from Glasgow down to London, up to Sunderland in the Northeast. And then I managed to wangle a move to Liverpool um, to run the Wimpy and Lord Street in Liverpool uh, as an assistant manager. And part of my job as the assistant manager was to interview all the staff. Uh, and one young lady who got interviewed for a job when she was 19 years of age got a job that she wasn't quite sure what she was signing up for because she's still married to me 33 years later. Um, but but the, the job afforded me the opportunity to, to go and see the great Liverpool sides in, uh, in the early 80s um, when they were just like thrashing everybody. Um, and in fact, the first game that I went to see... Um, was in the season when they were, I think they were doing some actual work on the cop at the time. And they couldn't play any of their first few games at home. So they were playing away. Um, and then when they did come back home, I mean, they were literally thrashing everybody 4-1, 5-1, etc. Um, but I really all boiled back down to sort of like seeing that Kevin Keegan shot from the halfway line banging off the crossbar. Wow. 
now. So, so uh, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a geek about Liverpool games. Was that did Liverpool win the game with a Terry McDermott goal? The one of Hibs? I think they actually drew nothing each Easter Road and then beat oh. them one nothing at, um, at Anfield. Because okay. there was definitely a game I can remember seeing it on TV where Terry McDermott scored. Maybe they played them more than once. Okay. Yeah, I think they played them a couple of times in Europe. Yeah. In the season, yeah. yeah. So, so what, what? Who was in that team then? The one that you uh, that the that wasn't able to play at Anfield for the first few games of the season, but then came back. Oh, well, that was, that was that was Rushy and and Dalglish and all, you know all these guys and um, John Barnes. I mean it's Beardsley. I mean they just used to split people okay. apart. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it's. Um, you know, it's kind of like one of the most memorable things was, was the ability to go to the cop. And at that time, you could just walk in. You know, you could just go and turn up on a Saturday and buy a ticket. Um, or not, you probably didn't even get a ticket. You probably just paid at the turnstile. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they were amazing then. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. I, I, I've read this somewhere that uh, a lot of those games in the late 80s, particularly, and, and a lot of this is about the unemployment in, in Liverpool, were not sold out. So you, you could literally show up like right what kickoff and, and, and get yeah. in because there were spaces on the cop or wherever it was. Yeah, which is kind of bizarre to think about now. It's right? ridiculous, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even with the expansion of the stadium. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So at, at the time, did, did you have a particularly favourite? I'm going to go back to the Wimpy, by the way, because that's, that's a cultural reference that I'm guessing nobody else <laughs> would even understand. Um, but, but uh, oh, maybe we should just go there first. The Wimpy, that was like, they, that was kind of predating like American fast food stores. This was like the UK, like, I don't know, poor, poor cousin like, of, of, of fast food stores. Am I doing it a disservice? No, you're, I think you're right. I mean, they, they were basically like table service restaurants. So it was all like, a, it, was a, it was the UK version, I suppose. Um, well, I mean, it developed into sort of like fast food. That's when I joined them in, in the early 80s. They'd really only just started in and mimicking Burger King and McDonald's. And they had a really strong um, management development program, which is really why I joined them at the time. Um, yeah. And... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we used to laugh and joke about when a Burger King opened because they eventually got bought by Burger King. When a Burger King opened up in the UK, you could tell where the Burger King was by the line of pickles that basically went around the streets uh, close by to the store because the UK folks did not eat pickles. Um, but it, <laughs> it was funny. Sort of like there, was, there was a lot of Liverpool fans used to come in every Saturday morning because it was downtown. Um, and people would come in off the ferry from, from Northern Ireland uh, and it'd be Man United one week and Liverpool fans the next week. Um, so, of course, we're, we, we had to make sure that the food safety standards were fine when the Liverpool fans came in. It was a bit more dodgy when the Man United fans came in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. It's great. So, so Liverpool has a bit of a history with fast food, right? Because at one point, the cop was called the McDonald's cop. Am I, am I, do I remember that correctly? Oh, I don't do, remember that. That's oh, there was a McDonald's actually. So where, if, you, if you've been to Anfield recently, where the stadium tour is, I think there used to be yeah. a McDonald's like right there. Wow. There's a, there's a piece of uh, history I did not know. Yes, it's, it's yeah, well, I don't know. Uh, and, uh, and at the point, McDonald's was so rare in the UK. It was like, oh, this is exciting. And I think McDonald's <laughs> is now where, you know, kind of it's like, ubiquitous and 
I'm not sure this is a line of chat. Has anyone else got any questions before I go off on a fast food rant? <laughs> I have a question for uh, Roddy. So that first match, uh, the one you were talking about, where you saw Keegan kick the ball yeah. in the crossbar, around what year uh, was that? Because uh, I'm trying to figure out, you know, if it's like uh, – uh, the tenure of Keegan with Liverpool, if it was like towards the end, in the middle, the beginning? It was right in the early 70s. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I must have been the grand total of about 11 or 12 years of age where your parents were quite happy to kick you out of the house on a Wednesday night and let you go to a football game on your own, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not quite so sure that that happens anymore now either. Well, of course, nobody's going to any football matches at the moment, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's kind of bizarre that in those days, and, you know, you guys will try and get your heads around this. I mean, at the end of the day, there was really only the grandstand. And then all other three sides of the stadium were all open. So if you if you went to the, the home end of the ground, and at halftime, people literally walked to the other end of the ground, right? And sort of like swapped swapped with the, with the opposition fans halfway. Until, of course, people started fighting at that time. They soon stopped that caper and became like segregated seating and, and all the rest of it. And that led to all sorts of sort of like horrible scenarios, particularly related to Liverpool. Um, but yeah, when I, first joined, when I first went to see football, it was literally, you could choose to stand anywhere you wanted in the ground and, and you basically moved during the game if that's what you wanted to do. It's kind of like a bizarre concept when you think about it today. Yeah. So we've already explored the bizarre concept of three quarters time on one of our podcasts because several people have mentioned that. So the, the, I mean, it just, it, but that's whole, I think a whole part of how different it was to watch football back in the eighties, seventies, eighties, sixties, even. Um, yeah. yeah. Which uh, is, is, you know, so if you're trying to get a ticket for Anfield today, it's really hard to comprehend. That's right. Very difficult to comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else got a question? Yeah, so um, it it sounds like you kind of came to be an LFC fan kind of like roundabout sort of way, just like by chance. Um, Like knowing now all of the history with like how the the club, what they call like the original club, like a team of Max or something like that, and kind of like the, the real strong Scottish undertone of LFC, did that endear it to you more or were you basically already hooked by the time you found out more history about the club? Um, I think I was probably already hooked at him, you know, but it's a fair question. I mean, I, if, if you sort of like, when you read um, stuff about, you know, the Shankly family um, on just on their own, I mean, shoot, like five or six boys and they all grow up sort of like in the, the depths of poorness and then they all end up sort of like playing football to varying degrees. And I, I suppose in some ways, um, you know, I've, I've travelled away from Edinburgh and Scotland. I mean, I haven't lived there since I was 19. Um, and, and as you can tell, I'm still working on the accent change. That, <laughs> But, um, you know, there's that. There's, there's, there's something about being Scottish, which, uh, you know, Paul might, might, might sort of laugh at, but we, we certainly have a little chip on our shoulder about Big Brother England. Um, and, and I think uh, Shankly had a chip on his shoulder in terms of maybe his upbringing and, but he also never forgot where he came from and, and, the, and the fact that he was representing the people and the club is all about the people and he couldn't be bothered with all the sort of like the airs and graces of things that went on above him, which of course caused him consternation when he was, you know, after he'd retired and he thought he should be on the board of the club, etc. and you read his autobiography. 
But for me, it's kind of like very inspirational. I, I kind of have the same thing. Um, I try to turn it into a positive thing. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, you know, I do business development in my job today, but I don't do it for the biggest company in the market. In fact, we're about the third biggest company in the market. But boy, do I love to beat the big boys and, and take them on and set different challenges. Um, and so for me, anything to do with the history of, of the club um, and the fact that we've had to fight and got knocked off our perch um, and sort of like being, I guess, in our in the last 20 years have to suffer at the hands of sort of like Man United. Um, anything like that is sort of like made me appeal to the club, I think. Um, and Liverpool were never always a sort of like a great club. I mean, they've always had an, an awesome history, but um, it's, that's been developed by the people and the culture that's been developed by those people as and when they joined the organisation. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. It's yeah. um, We all have our own passion as to why we love the club, right? And it just keeps growing. So... Yeah, good way to put it. Charlie, do you have a question? Yeah. Um, your favourite favorite Scottish player of all time, and is that Kenny, and is that another <laughs> tie to the club? <laughs> I, I Honestly, I'm just completely ignorant to the history of Scottish football other than knowing Kenny Dalglish is you know, absolutely one of the most incredible players ever, and, and, and Scotland maybe been able to produce anyone comparable to him. No, I think, um, well, I mean, you know, there is the, the sort of like the long lineage of, of sort of like great Scottish players. And we maybe come on and talk about that in terms of um, my favourite players and teams, etc. Um, so Kenny Dalglish, just like me, grew up being a Rangers fan and <laughs> was, was, was politely ignored by Rangers. Some of the sort of like the, the, the shoeshine story guys would tell you that he was told he was too small. Um and of course, then he ended up playing for Celtic um, and did like a phenomenal job, uh, much to my chagrin as a Rangers fan. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Kenny, Kenny is by far my, my, uh, my favourite player. Um, anytime that guy touched the ball, he was always like two or three moves ahead of any other Scottish player. In fact, that was part of the problem when he was playing for Scotland against England and the likes. I mean, he, he really didn't have a phenomenal record with Scotland. But he was, he was two or three moves ahead of everybody else on the pitch. And, and so when he came to Liverpool and, and basically took Kevin Keegan's shirt, right? I mean, sort of like to replace Kevin Keegan, who was a hero in his own right, and take that number seven shirt. Um, I mean, Kenny was phenomenal. Um, I mean, some of my best memories of him, um, actually, sort of like one of the funniest ones is when he scored for Scotland against England and he put the ball through Ray Clements' legs. <laughs> All true. So you, can, you can imagine the jokes that would have been taking place in the uh, in the dressing room between the two of them and the banter after that. Um, but yeah, he's he's head and shoulders above everybody else. Um, and in fact, I'm I'm friends with um, the, the husband of the the Leicester City uh, CEO. Um, so I was over um, two or three years ago. And I went to the Leicester City game, uh, courtesy, and sort of like got to sit in the director's box and watch the game, which I felt really, um, you know, it was a really lucky position to be in. But that was the night that uh, Jamie Vardy scored that absolutely unbelievable goal from about 40 yards <laughs> over Mingley's head. Um, yeah. And then I went back the following year and Kenny Dalglish was there. And so I, I got my picture taken with Kenny and my son, who, who I was there with for his 30th birthday. So he was my hero. My son's hero is Stevie G. Um, yeah. 
for all sorts of reasons, nothing to do with his age. You know? Yeah. You got another good young uh, Scott coming up uh, through the ranks on our left uh, in our left back position, huh? Absolutely, and I hope he stays COVID free because three of the Scots players have just sort of like gone down with it. Oh, is that right? Yeah, they're due, they're due to play Israel tomorrow night, and three of the Scots players have dropped out. So I just I hope mean, that Andy wasn't hanging about with them. Who would have thought that international friendlies were not a good idea right now? I mean, right? Yeah. There were people panicking, panicking today on our WhatsApp feed about uh, Virgil going off a hard time, Scotland having three yeah. players positive. So I can imagine that um, these next 10 days are not going to be fun, you know, just in terms of like what, what's going to happen next. Um, I did like the, um, the, I can't remember who came out with it on Facebook over the weekend, but it was almost like after, after the game, <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll come on and talk about the game shortly, but you know, after the game, what, what game, what game, Roddy? What, yeah. what game? You oh, we didn't turn up for any game. Is <laughs> <laughs> that all, all the players should have had this sort of like a slight hamstring injury and called off? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You uh, were in favour of that. I was deeply in favour of that, to be honest. <laughs> We've yeah, got shoulder injuries. Like, you know, we're all like empathetic with Allison, and we're we're you know, we we need to not go and travel. Yeah, but your point about Andy Robertson—he, you know, he's phenomenal. I mean, he's come from absolutely nowhere, um, and he's got that really strong kind of work ethic as well. I mean, that one game against Manchester City where he was sort of like chased the ball down from—it <laughs> seemed from about seventy-five yards—and the crowd completely got him after that move. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, and he's really hard on himself too, isn't he? You know, he's kind of like he was—he was right in front of the camera after the game at the weekend there. Yeah, basically just. I mean, I actually thought he played quite well, but um, yeah. amongst the rest of the defence, unfortunately. I did see a joke, the Guardian kind of slightly joked about, why did they send Andy Robertson out, given he was probably one of the better players? It was like, oh, right, he has that experience every time he plays for Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when they, made him, when they made him the captain, I'm not sure he thought that that was an honour. <laughs> <laughs> Explaining why we didn't play well today, you know, that was... So. Exactly. Okay, so so let's um, let's turn to uh, OLSC Las Vegas, um, and uh, if anyone's listening, this is all like our own opinions. This is not any official Liverpool stuff, but uh, t- tell tell us about how, how they got together and like the whole process of how you became official. Yeah, no, happy to do so. Um, so you know, when I'm, I moved to Vegas um, about eight years ago. And, you know, you find your feet in the city. I do a phenomenal amount of traveling in my job. So actually it was quite difficult to sort of like pin myself down to, to take up three or four hours every Saturday or every second Saturday to go and watch the games. But ultimately I played in a golf day uh, with a guy called Brian McMullen, who owns his own Irish pub um, here in Vegas. He actually has a South, South African heritage. Um, and his brother way back in the day actually played for Wolverhampton Wanderers. So but Brian's a big Liverpool fan um, and really, you know, we, we, we started chatting and it ended up there was about maybe like four or five of us meeting, meeting on a Saturday or a Sunday and maybe two or three of us meeting during the week uh, to watch a Liverpool game, sneak away from work. Brian was already at work because we all meet in his pub and we started to just talk about this sort of like dream of creating a, an official Liverpool supporters club. Um, and gradually it got a little bit more popular. Brian was doing some stuff out there on Facebook, but nothing official. And then Brian actually applied. Um, but I think 
when you go back sort of like two or three years ago, even, uh, you know, Brian just stuck the application in the mail and basically submitted it with no context, no communication with the club. And, you know, who knows how many other clubs were applying for it at the time, but I think it just got lost in the mail. Let, let's be were, actually, yeah. <laughs> oh. Right. So, <laughs> and, and, and so Brian sort of like fell at the first hurdle um, and, but he wasn't, he, he didn't want to give up. And, and obviously the success of the team, um, you know, sort of like on the back of sort of like 2013 and 14, et cetera, you know, the club became a little bit more prolific in terms of the minds and the eyes of the American public. I think um, the fact that NBCSN, you know, took over and really started to sort of like show the games, all of that helped. And, you know, I think for our American friends at the end of the day, people end up picking a team just because for, for whatever reason, could be like me picking a horse, you know, oh, I like the colour of that strip, that'll do. <laughs> or some other reason as to why they hate everybody else or, or just fancy the idea of Liverpool. And, of course, Liverpool actually became the most shown te- uh, team on television. Um, and I'm not sure why that was, um, other than, I, I don't know, maybe somebody in the hierarchy on the television channels decided that Liverpool was sort of like one of the most, one of the most qualified teams to watch on the TV. I don't know the answer to that question, actually. I'd be interested to know. Um, so we started to get more of us, and there was sort of like 10 of us, and then there'd be 15, and then the big games, there'd be 25 or 30 of us. And, and so it got, got a real bit of momentum when we decided to apply again uh, the following season. And because I'm in business development and sales, it was like, okay, so we're not just going to submit this. Um, we're not just going to fill in a little application form and, and, and whatever. So we did a little bit of a full court press. I mean, there's a ton of things going on in Vegas, um, apart from people's vision of sort of like the, the strip and the seedy side of Vegas. Um, the fact that the, the Golden Knights started on the hockey, then there was news about the Raiders, um, and then the city itself just continues to morph and develop, and it's got over 40 million visitors a year. And, um, you know, the popularity of the city so I utilized all of those assets to, to, to fill in the application form and sent a whole bunch of other things. Um, we, we got up to the requisite number of members, paid members, members of the club, filled in the application form, went to um, the, uh, the Boss Nights event in Boston, uh, where Peter Moore happened to be as well. And I basically stalked him out um, and told them that we had a major problem because we didn't have an OLSC in Las Vegas, which he couldn't believe. I, don't, I mean, by this time, he was a few sheets to the wind, by the way. And he, he said, yeah, leave it to me. I'll look into it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, well, that's never going to happen. But I actually followed up with him on Facebook, on Messenger, and he responded. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so then I started to tell him all these great things about Las Vegas. And about two messages later, he very politely told me to shut up because he knew all about Las Vegas. I mean, he didn't actually say shit. <laughs> I, read, I read between the lines that he'd got the message. Um, and, and lo and behold, we, we, you know, we got the official membership, which we were, we were absolutely thrilled about, um, which afforded us the, uh, the opportunity to get our, our scarves made once you go through all the requisite approvals. And the, the fact that we got the, this, this bit sort of like with the whole this means more in Vegas born in 2019, 2020 nice. was, um, yeah, we'll take, we'll take it. That, that was just perfect for us. Um, and then CopCon, which you may be familiar with, came out to Vegas. They were organizing their whole event around the Champions League uh, final. 
Um, and Brian and I were chit-chatting just after we got thumped three nothing by Barcelona, uh, going, okay, so we don't have to worry about Copcon now because it's on Champions League weekend. Right. And of course, two two weeks later, we were like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. So now we've got a real problem, and we ended up with with over four hundred people at the pub um, on the Champions League weekend, and the Copcon guys had organised. Um, Roy Evans came out. Uh, Davy Johnson came out, um, Mark Mark Kenny, the, you know the singer, came out. We, we had an absolute blast for the whole weekend, mm. and so the whole thing has just taken on its own life. Um, and now we're out doing all these sort of like other charitable things in the background and, and trying to get heavily as involved as possible and, and and joining on with all you guys and you know borrowing money from Hytham for two seconds when he pays things for ten dollars <laughs> for gifts for the OLSCs and then. He asked me to pay him back in beer, but I said I'd buy him a beer anyway. <laughs> the whole camaraderie of, of, of where um, the OLSCs are now with Zoom meetings and all these calls, I think the whole thing is just absolutely fantastic. And it, it's all just led to the club continuing to grow in Vegas, which is great. It, it definitely has. The, the, the one thing, though, I, I, I'm like, I need to push back on is, like you've shown us all up with the video you created for the This Means More Challenge. Um, I don't, I don't know how anyone like gets close to that. So maybe you could describe a little bit about the video and kind of where it came from. Sure. So, you know, like, like all you guys have, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's actually quite tough. And I totally underestimated the amount of work that it goes into just doing what we do, you know, like running the club and whatever. Um, and you can't satisfy everybody all of the time. Right. So let's go there first. But when the challenge came out, um, we have quite, out of the sort of like the 50 odd um, sort of like hardcore members, there's probably about 20 of us that sort of like are, are like overly passionate more than the game. It's about the club and what else can we do? So we sat, we sat down as a group um, and the meeting was supposed to last an hour because I remember, distinctly remember telling my wife, yeah, I'll be home by midday, don't worry about it. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, we were still in the pub arguing the hell about how the heck we were going to do this. Um, we'd already start, one of our members who's just recently joined us had come across to the UK and he couldn't get a job because he didn't have a visa. So he started to volunteer at this Nevada partnership for homeless youth. Um, you know, there's like 1200 kids between the age of 12 and 20 that live on the streets in Vegas or in Southern Nevada, which is, which is quite shocking, really, when you think about it, especially with the, the city, the amount of wealth that is in the city with all the casinos, et cetera. So he volunteered for them, and he came in to me one day, and he said, you know, if we're looking for a charity partner, and this was before This Means More Challenge, we should look into these guys and girls. So, you know, we started to work with them, um, and we got some donations going and collecting some money by we actually got in touch with the 23 Foundation and got a, um, a Trent Alexander-Arnold shirt to raffle off. And we split it 50-50 with them and raised $2,000. So we raised a thousand bucks for NPHY. Yeah. So that was going to be the core, the core of the, the, the video and our, and our action over the weekend was going to be in and around the charity. But we, we wanted to do something that really brought us together as a community as well, as a club. Um, and so it was that our own community and then what could we do within the city and then we also wanted to make it sustainable because one of the challenges for for las vegas is it's a very transient city so lots of people will come in they'll come in and work for a couple of years and then they'll leave 
um, and they'll go back to Chicago or back to New York or back abroad, back to where they came from. So it's actually quite difficult to sort of like maintain and sustain something like um, like an OLSC, for example, other than the hardcore members that you've got. So we thought about the sustainability piece for, for the charity and how could we maintain this community spirit amongst ourselves and how do we benefit the charity? So we came up with this whole idea of creating a video and then we thought about what are all the assets that we've got in Vegas? So you got all the sports stadia, you got all the casinos, you got the strip, all the things that people know. Then you've got the desert, right? Which really kind of like sits there on its own. And the day we went out to film that Friday evening was 111 degrees <laughs> in the desert. Um, and so we came up with all these crazy things. And then one of our members, John, is an artist, a singer, um, and he's, he's a videographer as well. And, he, and because he can sing and all the rest of it, like, okay, and he makes his own videos, that was great. So he volunteered to, to video and he was like the director and the production guy, basically. Um, and he's a good friend of my daughter. And then Stacy, who's one of our other members, she does voiceovers and marketing. So she's the voice on the video that we did, um, which is really powerful. I mean, it kind of gets, still gets to us every time. And then everybody else just decided to jump in and volunteer. We've actually got two members that come down from uh, Salt Lake City to watch games regularly with us, which is a six-hour drive. And we're the closest club. <laughs> so, so they drive down to meet with us. And then we all just kind of formed this committee and then split off into various groups. And the biggest argument was whether or not we ended up making one video with all this, this means more um, theming around it. And the whole idea was to basically take off like a Nike or, or a Nike, depending on how you want to pronounce it, um, sort of like football advert. And, and then the other one was to think about Elvis Presley and the desert. And that's the bit that you haven't seen. And then there's a whole other piece around the charity and how we linked all of it together. And we agreed as a bunch of fans that we would do donate $1 every time we come in to watch a game. And then every goal that Liverpool score, we donate another dollar. And so that became the sustainability piece to collect money for the charity. And then all the other money that we make from selling scarves and pins and hats or whatever else will go to help um, buy bricks um, because they're building an annex for the Nevada Partnership for Homeless Youth. Um, and actually, I just found out the other day that John Bon Jovi has put up $100,000 to, to donate to the Nevada Partnership for Homeless Youth if he gets a match of 100000 So... Whatever we are doing, we're never going to get to 100,000 as a club, but whatever we can do to contribute that just gets another match from John Bon Jovi. Um, we were too late in finding that out. Otherwise, we might have had him singing on the video. Uh, well, he outdid everybody else without him singing on the video. But, so, <laughs> so where do people find the video? Because uh, I, I don't know if I've seen the whole thing. I've certainly seen the bit that you're de describing. Is that on YouTube? Uh, it's actually, we've got it on, um, we, can, we can do it on YouTube, we've got it on Vimeo um, that we can send out to people. Okay. And we were very cognizant of the fact that, and stayed in touch with the club during the This Means More Challenge about, are you happy if we release our whole presentation video? Yeah. And we had much debate in the club about doing this. I was very cautious. And the club asked us to hold back a little bit because they wanted to have some original pieces that they could show in their uh, video that they were going to put out on social media. So we actually, we had to submit that and it's like everybody else did by, I think by Monday of this week. Um, so we haven't released the whole thing. Um, 
but, but I'm happy to show you guys if, if indeed that might actually work on here. I'm not quite sure how to do that, but if I can do it, I'll do it. Um, I can, you should be able to share right now. You need to click, I think, a few different buttons. Oh. Okay, let's see what we can do here. Um, hmm. Okay, hold it, share screen, all right. And then I'm assuming though, if I'm sharing my screen, is there, is there a button like there is on Teams where you actually have to do a share computer sound? There you go, yep. answer my own question. Okay, so the question is, what can you see here? We click logo for submission. Okay, well, let's hope this works. Let's see. This doesn't want to play, does it? It's going to be terrible if you listen to this on audio, by the way. <laughs> Maybe. Hopefully try and edit it. <laughs> so, okay, so this was our submission, guys. So we actually did um, a poem as a cover letter. So there is four, 10, 12 verses of the cover letter that basically all ends up saying whether we win or lose or draw, this means more, right? So that basically just linked to um, the, uh, the submission itself. And then here's the, uh, here's the video. Hopefully you can, you can hear it and see it. Some of us have never walked the streets of Liverpool, but it's in our hearts. Many of us have never been to Anfield, but we call it home. In a year that challenged all of us, LFC really has meant more. More love, more joy, more compassion. Shared across an ocean, a continent, and a desert. From Liverpool to Las Vegas, this means more.
Field is McMullen's Irish pub, and brilliant Reds fans come here from all over the world. So you'll never watch alone. Well, hello, my name is Brian Salmon. I'm the main sports guy here at Channel 3, and it's time for me to give a shout out to the Liverpool Football Club for winning the Premier League Championship for the first time in 30 years. Now, in celebration of that victory, the Las Vegas Official Supporters Club is partnering with local charity Nevada Partnership for the homeless youth in gathering supplies to support the homeless youth in our community. Congrats to the Liverpool Football Club for their victory and congrats to the Las Vegas Official Supporters Club on their partnership. Thank you so much for providing hygiene kits to young people experiencing homelessness here in Southern Nevada. They're going to go a long ways towards helping youth experiencing homelessness on the streets, at MPHWA's drop-in center, and through our outreach programs. We love that you made little inspirational note cards 
That was a nice touch, a bit like Sadio Mane. We are continuing to expand our services and our programs, so we truly appreciate your support, and we look forward to growing our partnership together. Hey guys, John here with the OLSC Las Vegas and our charity, Nevada Partnership of Homeless Youth. We want to help them build their new NX. The way we're going to do that is all the profits that we receive from all of the Liverpool gear that we sell, pins, scarves, flags, all of those profits are going to go into buying a brick to help them build their annex. We want to help them build their annex so we can build a better future for the kids who need it. So th there you go. That, that was the submission. And then the last piece that we did was give them all the lyrics to the song of Boring James Milner. Um, and actually, actually, what we're hoping to do um, with Mark Kenny's help in the UK is to get it on Spotify and see if we can actually sell it. Um, we actually think it would be quite a big hit on the cop, <laughs> as and when people come back. <laughs> Who knows? So there you go. Worth a, it's definitely worth a try. Hey, Roddy, that was so awesome sharing that. We're going to do a part two where we talk about present day Liverpool. But um, I think you've given us a fantastic picture of what OLSC Las Vegas is about. And um, hey, well, like, look out for uh, the, the video on Vimeo, YouTube. Um, yeah, we'll get that release. Support, yeah. support the cause if you can. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Paul. Appreciate it.